every year I talk about what this saint business means. What's it mean to be a saint? How do you to become a saint? Who'd want to be a saint? Why is it important to talk about this in any, in any way at all? And a lot of people, particularly I suppose maybe of my age uh, and older and um, a little bit after me, still think of saints and the cult of saints in some sort of hair-raising way, particularly Northern Europeans, you know, some uh, woman in uh, the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe on her knees with an armload of gladiolas going into the... <laughs> you know, so that that's what, that's what we, we think about the cult of saints. So we, we need to sort of get past that. So I'm going to talk about all of those things, why we commemorate All Saints Day and so forth. A little history about All Saints in English Christianity, in the Anglican tradition, all Saints Day is a very popular day, and it has been always uh, prior to the English Reformation and subsequent to it. So for us, it means a lot. And I think it means a lot because really All Saints Day is not the day when we're commemorating all the saints on the liturgical calendar, as important as that is. And I'll talk about how we got to that in, in, in a couple minutes. But it's the time for each of us to remember people in our own lives who expressed, and I'm not using necessarily religious categories for this, but expressed certain aspects of human character that were godly and had a deep influence on us in our life, maybe through being mentored by them, maybe through seeing their heroic example when they faced great adversity, maybe learning some things about how to be a, a mature human being. And those people, many of whom may be known only to us, are the people that we remember on All Saints Day. And I think that that's consistent with the origin of the commemoration of the saints in Christianity. Because the creation of the liturgical calendar for saints is a... Uh, was rooted in local celebrations of individuals that people knew in their communities. The original saints, of course, were the martyrs. And the first great churches, for example, in the city of Rome and other places were built on the graves of those who'd given their life for their Christian faith and for their confession. But as time went on, people began to say, you know, there are a lot of people that we know in our communities who have exhibited particular lives of sanctity and may now have died and gone to God, but we ought to remember them on the anniversaries of their death or of their birth or however you do that, and to begin to say that they had some um, uh, value to us about what it means to be a Christian person, but also, as you hear me say over and over again, what does it mean to be the best human being that you can be? How do you understand uh, what, what that means? Uh, the original saints, well, not the original one, but uh, Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Emperor, who I've told you, he, he was seven feet tall. When I was in Rome in 1975, they, it was a holy year. I was there on a scholarship. And in the Vatican Museum, they had Charlemagne's Dalmatic. In, 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 when you made a king or a queen in the ancient time, uh, you were sort of also conferred deacon's orders. 
So that meant that the king read the gospel on Christmas. So at the Christmas liturgy, the king would read the gospel like the deacon. And so they had Charlemagne's Dalmatic in a pressed glass case. It was ginormous. <laughs> it was so it it was true that he. I mean, I would put that. It would be dragging on and on. It was just a, a huge thing. Charlemagne had a, a an associate who had come. Uh, to Aachen to run his school, and his name was Alcuin, and Alcuin was a deacon from York. He was a monk, and Alcuin ran the grammar school. Remember, we get the word grammar school because in the Christian liturgy, if you had large churches or cathedrals, you had boys singing in a choir, and while they were learning to sing the liturgy in Latin, they had to go to school during the day, and the principal focus of what they were learning was Latin grammar, and so they called it grammar school, right? So Alcuin ran the grammar school, and he was interested in the liturgy. And he said to Charlemagne, you know, what we ought to do is we got Aachen, we got, you know, France, we have England, we have Italy, we have Eastern Europe and so on, and we have all these different local saints, people who are commem being commemorated locally who are important, but they, their, their examples are not insignificant. And maybe as we seek to understand the idea of church as connected, everybody, these disparate communities, and then finally, maybe we all ought to have a calendar that's fairly similar. That's what Alcuin said to Charlemagne, and so he said, make it so. And we have then the early, the origins of uh, the liturgical calendar of the saints. And that's where it came. So when would that be? Well, probably in the seven or eight hundreds A.D. would be when we finally get that in some, in some form. In the New Testament, a saint is defined, depending on what, what you're reading, Paul may have defined a saint as someone who lived before the time of Christ, he may have defined them as uh, someone who was a member of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. So, you know, in, in Paul's letters, you hear him talk to the saints and so-and-so. And he's thinking of everybody there. He's thinking of everybody's uh, sainthood. And uh, sometimes the saints were used, in this case, as I just mentioned, as a synonym for the Christian faithful. So as time went on and people began to think and reflect and to write, theology about these practices. I'm a believer. There, there are different views on this matter, but I have always felt that, the, that worship precedes theology. So Christian people got together and prayed, and what they pray now flows into uh, thinking and writing about what it is that we're doing. You know, the law of prayer is the law of belief. I believe that, that maxim. And so you began to have people say, well, a saint must be then one who's in heaven with the Lord, speaking in that language, one who could intercede on behalf of the earthly church and respond to those needs. You don't have to believe necessarily in the cult of saints. My anecdotal experience as a pastor is that I have people who've told me who've lost their parents, you know, or that they talk to them all the time. 
I mean, and they're not unhinged. You know, some do. You know, they or say, I wonder if she, do you know there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about my own mother? I never, I, almost every day. And I always think, what would she say? What would she say if she came back to life now and saw all this? What sense, what sense would she make of my iPhone 4? <laughs> She might get persuaded because the grandchildren could now be talked to by video in FaceTime. And that might have some sort of uh, cachet. But they would think, my Lord, you know, this is just unbelievable. So people do do these things. It isn't just superstitious practice that we're talking about. It's some sort of... Uh, I think interior human yearning about that. And so they would say, I want, you know, I would sort of want you to be on my side when I go through this. You know, so you pray to the saints and you say, or somebody that uh, uh, is the patron saint of something. The priest I began my ministry with used to read, whenever he commemorated a saint, he'd read all the biography that was in uh, uh, these books about the saint and uh, then read who they're the patron saint of. Cobblers, carpenters. You know, I don't know who computer programmers would be these days, but there is one, I can assure you. So you could intercede. And then a saint could also be one who merits public honor and cultic recognition by the church. But I think that the saints are sources of religious power for people. And I think that that resides not in the saints that we talk about officially, like St. Luke all the time, but in the individuals that you and I know who've had a particular impact uh, on our lives and how important they've been for us, and now who have died and gone to God. Or we may think, you know, there's some people who have a certain species of saintliness who are still alive and uh, who are able to, in some way to uh, have that influence on us. So the, the communion of saints is not a light thing. And English Christianity and its spirituality has, uh, many writers about it speak of its domestic quality. And there is something about that domestic uh, quality of ordinary people's conversation about people who have gone before and what are they thinking and how, how would they influence me and so forth, you know? I'm not speaking now of the pathological side of this, of somebody controlling you from the grave. <laughs> okay? And there's some people who veer into that territory, aren't there? But we're talking about uh, a little bit more of affirmative uh, kind of understanding of the, their exemplary lives, their, their sanctity. So that's one of the aspects of, of why we have All Saints Day, in my view, and why it, it's so important. In the Episcopal Church in 2010, at the General Convention, uh, the General Convention agreed to begin for trial use to use a replacement for something in, in the liturgy that we have called lesser feasts and fasts. And so there was always a separate, separate book with the prayers for the, litur for the Eucharist for a particular person and a little biography and so forth. And just for convenience, they, they also have in this book and in the earlier ones, the prayer book saints, you know, St. Luke, St. Matthew, St. John, and so forth. But this has uh, of saints that are, that are, whose commemorations are optional and uh, who are not the, the ones that, 
that we talk about that are in our, the Book of Common Prayer. So this is not called Lesser Feasts and Fasts anymore. It, it is called Holy Women and Holy Men. Some of you may say, oh, figures. <laughs> but the, 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 it's a good title. Uh, don't drop this on your foot. <laughs> you know. But there is, as usually the case, a big hue and cry from some who think we're, we're including people that don't, I mean, who in the world? Episcopalians, by the way, and Anglican Christians have recognized, certainly the, the early saints and in the prayer book that, that are part of the, all, the whole church's uh, understanding of the communion of saints. But we have continued to operate on the basis of the local influence that individuals have had on people. And so that means rather than going through some sort of lengthy process where there's some sort of bureaucracy that's involved in the creation of saints and so forth, uh, that we, uh, we sort of do this in a spontaneous and perhaps localized way. And a lot of the names that are in Holy Women, Holy Men are people that uh, some of us might say, what in the world did they, how did they get in here? You know, what, why would we worry about it? And some other, in the old churchmanship days, they're not with us any longer. Some would say, thanks God. But here's St. Here's John Bosco. He's in now, holy women, holy men. Who's St. John Bosco? Have you ever heard of the Salesians? If you're a San Francisco, North Beach, you know, St. Peter and Paul Church is run by the Salesians. Joseph Alioto grew up in the Salesian Boys Club. Right? And uh, so that sounds kind of, doesn't sound too Protestant to me. <laughs> and there's some people who say, what's he doing in there? Well, Ignatius Loyola's in here. St. Teresa of Avila. I think St. Teresa Liso is in here, the little flower. So some of these people, even though they may appear to be relatively traditional, they also exhibited certain types of piety that might make your hair stand on end. <laughs> Not just if you're an Episcopalian, but somebody, I mean, there's stuff that uh, they did that we would not normally recommend to people as a means of gaining sanctity. But for them, somehow it was important. And then yet at the same time, we have other people. Uh, J.S. Bach is in here now. And his sons are in here. Well, should they be in here? You know, depends on your point of view about that, doesn't it? So uh, I, I just want to give you a commercial message for this. I've enjoyed just leafing through it. I've had to be careful not to drop it, as I mentioned. But uh, we also have made it a much more multicultural thing, which is, which is very, very good. And there are Native Americans in here and uh, people in the civil rights movement. And uh, Ernest made, did you know Jonathan Daniels? He's in here now. And, and so on. So... Um, this has preserved the tradition of the local observance of the saints. So, how would we know if we believe in the idea of sanctity, we believe in its local expression, we believe in its deeply personal effect on us by people whose behavior and whose character have been influential, how would we know by virtue of those relationships, but also in our own life as we seek to be faithful and to know God's will and purpose for us, how would we know whether we're making progress 
Now, the church in its liturgy does something that helps us do this on a regular basis. All Saints Sunday is one of the four times of year we baptize people. So at 11, I'm going to baptize two people, an adult and a little boy. The, uh, in, if you don't have anybody to baptize, you renew, the community renews its baptismal vows. When we do baptism, you're renewing your baptismal vows in the course of the baptismal liturgy. But this is the purpose of, of renewing the baptismal vows. And what that means is that you go over uh, the covenant and you ask yourself, how am I doing in this regard? <clears throat> On Ash Wednesday every year, sometime between, between all of the liturgies that we do here, I go into the church and I open the prayer book and I read the baptismal covenant and sort of start the season of Lent and say, this is, I'm checking now to see how I've done over the past year, you know, and where are the uh, soft places that might need to be uh, tightened up. Or if nothing else, to regain some sense of commitment and enthusiasm and stamina for the journey. <laughs> So the baptismal covenant is one place. The other place is to uh, look at what we receive at our baptism, the fruits of the Spirit. So there are things like love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Have these become, in, even for a split second, a little easier to do? Have you found in your life that you have been able to access these things um, at least from time to time? The Eastern Orthodox Church talks about something. Uh, this also deeply influenced early Anglicanism in the 16th century, the Anglican the Elizabethan divines. Uh, they had correspondence with Eastern Orthodox <coughs> bishops and theologians. And one of the things the Eastern Orthodox talk about is a spiritual process they call deification or in Greek, theosis. And what it means is that as you begin to make some spiritual improvement, you become less unlike God. St. Athanasius said, we are not God. Well, Father Keating said, we are not God, but our true self is God. And that is a paraphrase of what St. Athanasius said about this. God became man that we might become God. So theosis or deification is an important thing. And so if you're more able to be on the side of godly things, maybe you've made some spiritual progress in that way and that's a good way to to check it Luke's gospel today uh, is about uh, the Beatitudes from Luke's version it's probably in biblical scholarship the earlier version of something Jesus may have said more than once the Sermon on the Mount is the famous one in Matthew but Luke's is probably the earlier tradition of the oral interwritten and then so on. And Luke has some blesseds, but he also has some woes. Woe to those. I read those, I go, oh my goodness. I don't want to have to go through woe because it's all too true. Here's what you can take from this gospel about sanctity. This is about complacency. 
And remember on the Feast of St. Luke, I talked about one of the great themes in his gospel and in the book of Acts, and that's something called the Great Reversal. It's the idea that what we think is this is going to get turned upside down uh, uh, by, through God's purposes. And as we begin to understand that, whose side are we supposed to be on and how do we understand right relationship? Another one of his themes would be, for example, how do we understand right relationship to our possessions? Not renunciation, but what is right relationship in regard to those things? So if you're too satisfied, you know, maybe you need to do some thinking. Uh, Dr. Edwin Friedman, who I talk a lot about, uh, used to say before he died, if you think everything's going fine, watch out. (laughs) So this is a gospel about that. And I suspect that means that... uh, The processes of sanctification have more to do with the cultivation and the development of the internal self-regulation and strength to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of us on a daily basis. So that we're not uh, walking around with a perpetual pessimistic thing that this is all going to collapse around my ears, but also not to be too self-satisfied. You know, I think it's a feature in the United States, if you'll permit me, of middle class life that it is often smug, self-satisfied. I grew up in a family who thought everybody ought to be like them. They couldn't understand in the world why anybody would not want to do that. Are you nuts? So, 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 when, you, so when you start living like that, uh, before you know it, you know, you, something happens. And then, as Abraham Lincoln said about one of the generals in the Civil War, you walk around like a duck hit over the head. <laughs> you know, you're knocked for six. So maybe uh, a little bit less smugness and a little bit more clarity uh, would be a good plan. This week, give thanks for all the people in your life who have been very helpful to you and have exhibited some species of sanctity. Give thanks for the opportunity that you may have had in your life to be one of those persons for someone else. And ask God to continue to uh, strengthen those saintly aspects of your character that make a difference. Amen.